you're here. Thanks for joining us at Wyoming Valley Church. My name is Pastor Todd. Thanks for those who are visiting this morning. I love what that song says, your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. Amen. That's what we seek to do here on Sunday morning, to glorify our God. So this is the week of Thanksgiving. We, we want to, they'll come up in the text, which is just kind of worked out that way. The Thanksgiving is in our text today. So I hope you guys are looking forward to Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays for the obvious reasons. Uh, who, who thinks turkey is the best food on Thanksgiving? Is turkey actually the best? Turkey seems like a necessary thing to just have, but turkey is not my favorite. It's probably like fifth on the list. Mashed potatoes, right? No? One? Yeah? Are you going to raise your hand? <laughs> raise your hand at everything. Everything is good, right? Stuffing, mashed potatoes. Oh, let's bring it all. But thanks for being here. We're going to continue our series through the book of Ephesians this morning as we've been looking at our theme, Lifestyles of the Rich and Godly. And we're getting close to the end of Ephesians. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to finish before the Christmas season. But join us today in Ephesians chapter 5 as we look at verses 7 to 21. And the title of our lesson today is Walking in the Light. Walking in the Light. We'll get to the text here in a minute. Did you ever act foolishly even though you knew better? Consider that question. Did you ever act foolishly even though you knew better? Well, I was going to share a personal example, but I share those a lot, and that would make you see me in a bad light, so I have plenty, but I decided to go this route today. I have six children, okay, six children, and it wouldn't surprise you that children are apt and good at fighting, stealing, cheating, right? I see that in my kids. They're natural sinners, as we all are, but um, children are just good at that kind of thing, fighting, stealing, and cheating. They get mad if they get the wrong color cup with the same kind of liquid inside of it. They just do. That's what children do. They want the blue cup, not the orange cup. Well, for children, it's not a good thing that they're that way, but you understand it a little bit more because they're children and they're learning. The problem that I see in our society is when adults act that way, right? And I have a few examples that I've seen in multimedia and uh, a common culture here today. I'm not just going to tell you a few of these examples. This past week, there was a football game. Uh, in the NFL between the Steelers and the Browns. Did anyone see that game? At the end of that game, there was something quite shocking that happened. There was a little skirmish, a little, a little fight there at the end between one of the quarterbacks and one of the defensive guys. And uh, I don't know if you saw this, but during the, during the little fight, the, the, guy, the defensive guy picks this guy up by his helmet, takes his helmet off his head, and hits him in the head with his own helmet. And I'm, <laughs> I'm watching this unfold, and I'm shocked, going, Really? I don't even think my children would act that bad. And this guy had just lost his mind. I think he just, you know, just got so wrapped up into the moment. But he, he started hitting someone with a helmet in the head. And I thought, man, that's, that's childish at best. And uh, that was an example of someone who was fighting who should know better. Should know better, at least to that limit. Another example is, I don't know if you guys are following these kinds of things, but in the sports world, there's the Houston Astros were just found out recently to have cheated. Apparently, they were stealing signs uh, using electronics, and I guess in baseball, that's, that's a no-go. You're not supposed to do that kind of thing. So they were stealing signs of the other team, relaying those signs to their batters, and their batters knew what pitch was coming. So they could, you know, hit the ball out of the field. And so that's this big scandal, the Houston Astros. I don't know what's going to happen, but they're going to be punished. And I thought the same thing. That they should know better. You know, they're adults. Why are we cheating? You guys remember Monopoly, if you were ever the banker, and some money would find its way to your little stash there? Oh, I was the only one who did that. <laughs> yeah, that never happened. Uh, but children, you kind of expect it. But when adults cheat, it's like, come on, really? So that's, that's an example of fighting and cheating. Um, there's also something, another example of stealing in our culture that's kind of happening a lot lately. And uh, it's kind of gaining popularity that is people are stealing packages from other people's porches. We live in a, a, a world, a society, where we're having everything delivered to our doors, right? Anybody like to online shop? Anyone not going to Black Friday because they can online shop? Yes, exactly. I'm an online shopper. I don't like to fight crowds or anything like that. So, But we have this culture that people just steal packages uh, from other people's porches. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like, come on, you should know better. And actually, I saw a YouTube video a little while ago where this guy kind of set up and put a trap for people who steal packages. <laughs> it was pretty ingenious. So this guy would set up this trap. These people would steal his package not knowing what was inside because you don't know if it's going to be something cool or some guy's, you know, uh, athlete's foot cream or something like that. <laughs> but you steal the package, and this guy rigged this thing. So when they stole the package, they opened it up, and inside was this glitter bomb. Anyone see that? 
So they open up this package and the glitter just spins all around their room or their car or wherever they are. And a little, there's a little camera so he can kind of watch it happen. And so I thought that was pretty ingenious. But stealing packages, that's childish, isn't it? Here's one more example. I kind of bring this up a lot, but road rage. I won't poll the audience if you've ever been a part of road rage. But road rage, too, is quite common in our day and age. And I just want to read you one little article here that I found about road rage. And hopefully this will shock you as it shocked me, thinking how childish this is. It says this, David Paul Whipperman, 61 of Largo, was arrested Thursday on charges of felony battery and burglary of an occupied vehicle. According to arrest reports from the uh, Pinellas County Sheriff's Office, Whipperman got into a road rage accident with a woman at 5.40 p.m. Whipperman got out of his Chevy truck and approached the woman in the other vehicle, a Kia sedan. The woman rolled down her window and apologized to Whipperman for the incident, at which Whipperman spit the food that he was chewing on at her, according to reports. And this is what the lady said. The food struck the victim in the face and entered her mouth. Whipperman then opened the driver's side door, screamed at the woman, and stuck his finger in her face, the report said. What is going on in our society, right? These are childish things. You kind of expect it from children, but when adults do it, it's a little bit more shocking. Well, we're going to talk about that today, calling living in the light. And I want you to follow along as we read verses 7 to 21. Listen to the word of God. Paul says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when, they, when anything is, is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. May the Lord bless the teaching of his word this morning. This is a part two. We started this lesson last week and weren't able to finish it. If you remember, the context was about imitating God and walking in love. And you have to remember, this is one thought that we're breaking up into two sections here. And we need to remember the context that we'll look at here in a little bit. But I want to mention the three goals today that we want to get to. We have three different goals that hopefully we can get to today, Lord willing. Goal number one is this, is to be reminded that we should walk in the light as children of that light. In other words, to act according to our new nature. That's goal number one. Goal number two is to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, don't act foolishly now that we know better. And goal number three is to have the right eternal perspective about walking in light and to be thankful for that light. Those are the three goals we hope to get to. The first thing Paul says in verse 7 here is he says this, Therefore walk as children of light. And remember, this is the context, like I just said, about imitating God. Paul said that at the beginning of chapter 5. He said, therefore be imitators of God. And we talked about that last week, what that looks like what it looks like to walk in love and to imitate God. And now he says, therefore, walk as children of light. Why? Because our God is light. And we are to imitate that God. So we need to remember the context that is walking in love, walking in light, and imitating God. And we start sort of at an interesting place here when he says this. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. When Paul says that we should not become partners with them, He's telling us that we should be so concerned with imitating our God that even partnering with people who are not interested in imitating God would be senseless and foolish because light does not mix with darkness. Do you know that? Even physically. You turn the light on, darkness goes away. You turn the light off, the light goes away and darkness comes. But they don't mingle. They don't, they don't um, 
They aren't mixed together. Light and darkness are not mixed together. So Paul is basically saying partnering with ungodly people who have no interest in following Christ can only hinder us. And I don't know exactly what he had in mind when he said do not partner with them. But if I had to give a general idea of what that means is don't be closely associated to such a degree that it would hurt your ability to imitate God. To be so closely connected to darkness, someone who has no interest in the things of Christ, no interest in imitating God, that you were so closely associated to them that it hinders your ability to imitate God and to walk in light. And Paul says we used to be darkness. You and I used to be darkness. We used to mingle with others that walked in darkness because we were darkness. But now, through Jesus, God has completely changed our nature. We are no longer darkness anymore. We are light, light sources upon this world. And light, according to the text, he's talking about things that are good. And darkness, he's talking about things that are evil. Okay, it's an illustration. It's a metaphor. But that's what it means. That's what light means, things that are good. And darkness means things that are evil. And so if we are in Christ, and I don't know if you are, but I'm assuming many in this room are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are a child of light, and you're not the same person you once were. We talked about that several times in this, in this book of Ephesians. He brings that up several times to say you're new, you're different. Act differently according to your new nature. And he's stressing it one more time. Act like children of light, not children of darkness. Because darkness and sinfulness used to, to define us. It used to be our pattern of living. But now that sort of lifestyle should disgust us. It really should because, it's, because of its God-hating characteristics. And I can look at the past part of my life before I followed Jesus Christ and when I do, it disgusts me. It really does. I look at that life and I don't, I don't glory in that life. I don't think, oh, I remember that time and I, I wish I could go back. No, it disgusts me. It's darkness. I walked in darkness and it's God-hating characteristics. And does your old lifestyle, if you're a Christian, does it disgust you? Because it should. It should disgust all of us, the way that we once lived before our God and our God-hating characteristics. And Paul is saying not to become children of light. He's saying act like what you are. Because we've already talked about salvation is a free gift from God, and if you've received that free gift from God, your nature is light. Your characteristics, your lifestyle should represent your nature. And we need to walk that's according to our new nature, which is a light upon this earth. So act according to your new nature. Remember, you have a new nature if you're in Jesus. And I need to ask that question. Are you in Jesus? Because that's the one prerequisite to having light in your soul. Faith in Jesus. Full faith, full confidence, full trust that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. Is that you? Does that define your soul? Does that define your testimony? Are you a light source based on that? And Paul is calling us to live completely sold out to the lifestyle of someone who is in the light. Darkness should be completely put away from our lives. We talked about that last week. We should put these kinds of sins away. They're no longer part of our nature. They're against our nature. And more importantly, they're against God's nature. And I thought about this. Does anyone ever feel bad when you take the garbage out on garbage day? Do you ever feel sentimental about that garbage? Do you ever struggle taking the trash to the curb going, man, this is hard. I don't want to give this garbage up. And then you get to the top or you get to the, where you drop your cans off and you're deliberating. And when the guy finally comes out, you go back out and go, wait, and I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it. I changed my mind. Of course not. That's silly. Because it's garbage. And we throw garbage away and we don't feel bad because it's garbage, it's useless, it's pointless. And that's kind of what our old nature was to God. It's garbage, it's useless, it's pointless. And he says to us, put it away. Throw it away. Don't live according to that stuff any longer. If you remember the beginning of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, what happens? Darkness and void covered the earth. Actually, there was no earth. Darkness and void is what existed, right? And as soon as God came on the scene, what did he say? Let there be light. Because the first characteristic we learn about God is that he's light. And as soon as he comes onto the scene, darkness flees. And that's how God started the creation of the world by saying, let there be light. And do you see a parallel there in the heart and the soul of the redeemed? Before Jesus, darkness characterizes us. 
we're characterized by darkness and sin and evil. And when Jesus comes into our soul, it's similar to him saying, let there be light. And from that moment on, we have light, we have truth, we have hope, we have Christ within our soul. And now light should characterize us because of Jesus, because of his presence. We just sang about the Holy Spirit, didn't we? That's Jesus' presence within us, and that is light. And so now that we have light within our soul, living for darkness shouldn't make any sense. It's like trying to hang on to garbage. Paul says, put it away. You are no longer darkness. And he says this about light. He says, light is found in all that is good, all that is right, and all that is true. So Paul doesn't want us cloudy or vague on what light is. He doesn't want us guessing at what light is. He doesn't want interpreting light our own way. By the way of saying that it's everything that is good and right and true, you know what really he's saying? It's proving that he's talking about the Lord Jesus' lifestyle and the Lord Jesus' teachings. Because the Lord Jesus came to this earth to show this world light. To show us what is good, to show us what is right, and to show us what is true. If you read the book of Hebrews, it says this about Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God. Think about that phrase. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of God's nature. Have I ever seen God the Father? No. Have you ever seen God the Father? No. But we have Jesus' life and testimony preserved for us in the pages of Scripture. Why? So that we know what God is like. So that we know what is good. So we know what is right. So we know what is true. And we don't have to guess. Because guessing at those things, you could be wrong. And if you're wrong, it's still darkness. So Jesus came to say, here's the light. Here's what it is. Here's what it looks like. Here's what is true. Walk in this. And I'm thankful for that testimony because I don't have to guess. And I don't have to live in the darkness. I don't have to be wrong anymore. Neither do you. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. By looking to Jesus' life, I know God. By living according to Jesus' teachings, I please God. And God considers that light. So what we know about God, we have learned from Jesus. Jesus came from heaven. He's the Son of God. He is God. If we want to walk in light, we don't need to, we don't need to guess. We need to get around the, the Son of God. We need to get around Jesus. Because Jesus is going to tell us what light is. And if you ever want to know what is good, what is right, and what is true, go to the source of all of those things, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look specifically, how did Jesus teach and how did Jesus live? And there it is. There's exactly what light is. So we need to study Jesus with a microscope. We need to find every nuance of light. And then we need to live in that light. That is our duty. That is our calling as Christians, to walk according to our nature. And I hope that's something that you desire, to walk in light as he is in the light. Because that's God-pleasing, and that's God-glorifying. And we just sang about that's what we want as children of God, to glorify our God. And he's telling us how. This is how. Walk in the light. Paul says this phrase, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Once again, he's telling us not to aim at light without knowledge. Don't just assume your lifestyle is light. Check it. Search it. Find out from the scriptures what does light look like. Because just as imitating God without knowledge is impossible, so is walking in light impossible without knowledge. There's no light apart from God, and our job as his children is to strive to accomplish his will upon the earth. And in order to do his will, we have to be people of great detail. We have to be people of discernment. We have to be people who are willing to work and search and find out what is true, what is good, and what is right. Does that define your Christian disciplines? Discernment, detail, hard work? See, the, the shallow Christianity that we have in this culture is fine with the common and popular teachings. Whatever tickles their ears, whatever seems common and right, they follow. They take it at face value. They don't search. They don't check. They don't look to see if this, in the scriptures, is it, is it light? Is God say that it's light before I walk in it? But we as children of God, we need to do some homework. Paul says we need to be wiser than that. We need to be wiser than the common culture. We are to test everything with scripture. 
Isn't that hard? That's, that's work, guys. I mean, even what I say in the pulpit needs to be tested with Scripture because that is your light source. Jesus and God are your light source. And here's the cool thing about God's will. It never changes. If it was God's will generations ago in the Old Testament, it's still God's will today. If it's God's will for the days of the apostles in the early church, it's God's will today. And I'm thankful for that because there's other denominations and religions that change constantly. The will, the, the things that you're supposed to do are always changing. And God's will is ancient and never changing. And so light has always been the way that it was and it always will be. It will always remain the same. But I honestly think that today we've lost the art of discipline and discernment. Because it's work. It's hard. It's hard to be detail-oriented when it comes to God. It's hard to discipline yourself. Here, I'll give you another example. When Trav and I, my brother, were growing up, we played a bunch of different sports. Uh, some sports we were better at than others. Um, we decided to play baseball because it just seemed like as a little boy you needed to play baseball. Trav and I were more into basketball than baseball, but we started playing baseball. And for a while, we were in this thing called Farm League. Remember that? Farm League. And in Farm League, you know, they kind of... The, I think you were the pitcher, actually. I think dads and parents and would get up and pitch you this nice big slow ball over the plate, and you'd crank it out, and everybody felt good. And, you know, you'd go four for four with four home runs, and you felt great. But then Trav and I next year went to Little League. And in Little League, something changed. <laughs> they had real pitchers throwing real fastballs over the plate. And the problem with that is that Trav and I weren't disciplined to practice baseball. So you know what happened? We stunk. We stunk a lot. Uh, Trav and I would get up, to the, get up to the plate and go 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. I actually remember that one time with baseball with Little League, I, I was playing second base, and I thought I did something good. A ball came to me, I picked it up, and I, put it, I, I got a double play. I got a double play, and I felt all good about myself, only to have the third baseman come up and yell at me. And he said, Todd, what are you doing? You're supposed to hold the runner. The runner scored because you didn't hold him at third. And I was like, I hate baseball. Even when I'm... <laughs> Even when I'm good, I'm bad. And the, the problem is with baseball is it takes discernment and detail. If you've ever watched baseball, these guys are thinking greatly about what's to come. What needs to happen if I catch the ball? What needs to happen if it's hit here? What needs to happen if there's one out or two outs or whatever? And Trev and I did not have that discernment. So we made our parents watch us every single day go 0 for 4 with four strikeouts and then make errors in the field. I think Trav one time was chasing a bird instead of the ball. I, I think we've lost the art of discernment and detail in the Christian life. I think we need to get it back because we have to please God. Isn't that a big task? We have to please God with our lives. And that means we need to be people of detail and discernment and discipline in order to find out what is pleasing to the Lord because that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Is my life pleasing to the Lord? You don't have to care if it's pleasing to the mankind that you live with or pleasing to the nation that you live in. You need to understand and concern yourself with what is pleasing to God. In order to do that, you have to find out what is God's will. And that's what Paul says. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Because God's will is our duty. We are his children and we are his servants. And we have orders from God that we have to find out what that is and then live according to that. And that's big, that God's will is our duty. That's big. And we're going to be held accountable for God's will on the last day. His will was made clear to us, and the question is, did we walk according to his will? So your main concern is not your pastors. Your main concern is not your family. Your main concern is not what's common in this day and age. Your main concern is what is God's will and how do I live in it? Is that described your Christian walk? only pleasing to God. You have an audience of one. And we need detail, we need discernment, and we need discipline in order to find that out. Paul says this, number two, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Why? Again, because you are children of the light. And that doesn't describe your characteristic anymore that you are darkness. So along with learning God's will and walking in light is a required carefulness. A carefulness from Christians to not play around with darkness any longer. And Paul's going to hit us with this fourfold approach uh, to, to uh, dealing with the things of darkness that we're going to look here in a little bit so that we can avoid walking in darkness now that we are children of light. Because remember, darkness means evil. Take no part in the unfruitful works of evil. 
things that hurt God, things that hurt your neighbor, things that displease your God. And Paul gives us this fourfold approach. Listen to what he says. He says these four things. He says, number one, expose the works of darkness. Number two, he says, look carefully how you walk. Number three, he says, make the best use of your time. And number four, he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. That right there should describe how we deal with darkness. And I'm going to look at each of these things very briefly as we discover what we should do with darkness. Because darkness does live in the same world we live in, doesn't it? It's, it's everywhere. I mean, you walk out these walls and darkness is everywhere. It's all amongst us. What do we do with it? How do we deal with darkness? Paul's going to give us instruction. And the first thing he says is this. Expose the sins of darkness. Expose the sins of darkness. See, not taking part in darkness is very good, but it's not enough. It's not enough. I want to give you an illustration. Imagine if you were walking in the woods one day and for some reason you narrowly avoided walking on a hidden landmine or a bear trap, something in the woods that if you stepped in it would greatly harm your life. Would it be enough just to avoid that landmine? Or would it be proper to also expose where that landmine is so others might not find it as well and walk in it? And that's what Paul is saying. He's giving us a very delicate piece of advice here to not only avoid the sins of darkness, but to help others avoid them also. Why? Because of unity. Remember what he said in chapter 4? We are a team. We're a team. Any sports analogy you want to use, if someone has 40 points in a game but the team loses, that's not good. We're here to help the team be successful. And none of us can walk in darkness. Which means if I'm walking in darkness and you're not, that shouldn't be good. If I'm walking in light but you're not walking in light, that shouldn't be good either. We need to all walk in light. And Paul gives us this very delicate piece of advice saying expose the sins of darkness. He says these sins, such as, we, such as we looked at last week, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, etc. They're so heinous, they're so deadly, and they're so gross that even to speak about them in great detail is wrong. That's why we don't. That's why the Bible doesn't. The Bible does not go into graphic detail about these sins because it's even inappropriate to do that. That's how gross these sins are to God. That's how perverse these sins are to God. And so that tells us something. If that is true, that it's so gross to even talk about them, then what are we to do for people who not only engage in these things in conversation, but practice them? Practice these perverse, heinous, gross sins. And Paul says we should expose the filthy nature of these sins. We have to. We have to show that darkness is darkness. And this has to be handled with care. I know this is a very delicate piece of advice here. Because what Paul is not saying is he's not telling us to judge others. He's not telling us to make wild accusations based on limited knowledge. Okay, so don't confuse the two. He's telling us to expose sin and those walking in it when we know the facts. And that's very different than judging people. That's very different than making wild accusations based on things that you don't know. But let's say, as an example, someone comes to you one day and confesses to cheating on their spouse. Would it be best to cover that sin up? Would it be best to lay, let that sin stay hidden? What if it was hurting children? What if someone confessed to hurting children? Would it be best to let that sin stay hidden, remain covered up, or would it be better to expose that sin to help everyone stay safe and heal? Uh, sadly, we live in a, in a state where this happened on a university, right? For a long time, a sin on a university was covered up for years and years and years. And because it was hidden, it was allowed to be continued. So what do we do with sin when we find out that it's existed, that it's going on? What do we do with that kind of sin? Is it better to hide it and cover it up and act like it's not there or to expose it? I think according to Scripture, we need to expose the sins of darkness. You know why? Because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. We have the hope of forgiveness. We have the chance at reconciliation. We have the opportunity to be cleansed from our sins. Didn't 1 John teach us that? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you from those sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
So what should happen with sin in your life? What should happen with sins in those you love? Paul says, bring it to the light. Bring the sin out. Expose the sin with love. Expose the sin by being careful and being prayerful and taking a very careful approach to exposing sin. But expose it because darkness should not be neglected. It should be attacked. Why? Because we have the light. And when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't keep darkness hidden. He didn't keep evil hidden. He exposed it with the truth of the gospel. And the gospel, when it exposed it, did not shame you. It did not rub your nose in your sin. It was there to heal you. It was there to restore you. It was there to pick you up. If you remember the prostitute, that's exactly what Jesus did. He went, he picked her up, and he said, Your sins are forgiven you. Go and sin no more. The exposing of the sin was for restoration and for healing and for forgiveness. And if we miss that, if exposing sin is all about pride and shaming someone, that's wrong. That's not what it's about. We are there to help others become part of the light and walk in that light. And that's what the gospel allows you to do. Either become light or be restored so you can walk in light once again. And isn't that every one of our testimonies? Isn't the first thing that ever happened before you came to Jesus Christ was the exposing of your sin? Didn't God have to expose your sin to your own soul and say, Todd, this isn't right. This is wrong. This is evil. You're walking the wrong way. That's the first step in every single person's testimony, is I found out I was wrong. Was that the end game? No, the end game is not to shame you. The end game is for you to be restored. The end game is to turn you around and say, now walk according to light. And we have the light of that gospel. And that gospel, that light, is a conquering light. Aren't you thankful for that? That light was sent to conquer. We sang that about that this morning as well. We are more than conquerors through Christ. This light defeats the darkness. And we don't have to let sin reign anymore. If sin is within your soul today, the best thing for you is for that sin to be exposed, not to be hidden or swept under the rug, because God has sent this gospel, has sent this light to heal us, to cleanse us, to restore us. And that's why he brought this light, both physically and spiritually, to conquer the darkness. When Paul says this in verse 14, he, listen, he says this phrase, which is sort of interesting. He says, therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I think what he's most likely saying is that exposing sin is similar to waking someone up. You ever nudge someone awake or wake someone up? Guys have children. I, our, see, our children are really good at waking up. Really good at waking up. I guess... They're not, that's not a good example, but I've heard, and I've been this myself, when children get to be teenagers, right, you like to sleep in. You like to sleep in, you're supposed to get to school or work. Yeah, Emma's back there nodding, going, yeah, that's right on. And sometimes people have, your parents have to nudge you awake and say, it's time to get up. You have school, you have work, you have church, time to get up, And right? So they, you go and wake someone up. That's kind of what Paul is saying here, is that, Exposing sin is like waking someone up from spiritual slumber or even death, to nudge someone awake. And that's what sin exposed in our life is supposed to do, to say to us, wake up, get up, this is wrong, this is not right, so that we can be forgiven and restored by Jesus. And that's what this is today. It's a spiritual nudge. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans. We'll do one flip today. Turn to Romans Chapter 13. It's what's so interesting about this is this passage in Romans chapter 13 was used very specifically in my life to wake me up from my sleep when I was in sin in my mid-20s. Romans 13, I'm going I'm to read starting in verse 11. Paul says this, Besides this you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. For our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Do you notice what he says there? Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. Your physical sleep? No. Your spiritual sleep. 
This today, by exposing sin and telling you how bad darkness is, is like a spiritual alarm clock or a spiritual nudge from someone you love saying, get up, get up. You're going the wrong way. This is wrong. This is dangerous. This is God-hating. And that's the goal, right? To wake someone up, to get someone moving. And that's what the gospel does, thankfully. The gospel nudges you and says, this is wrong. But I will show you the right way to go. This is also the same strategy for church discipline. In scripture, we have another very awkward piece of advice that we are supposed to discipline people in the church when they're going astray. I don't know if you've ever been a part of that sort of thing, but it's a very awkward and delicate thing to go through is church discipline. And you know what the goal of church discipline is? It's not to cut somebody off. It's not to kick somebody out. You know what it is? It's to nudge them awake. It's to nudge them awake so hopefully they can find forgiveness and repentance and restoration and healing. That's the point of church discipline. And I love that about our God, is that he comes alongside gently, but firmly. And he says, it's time to get up. This is wrong. This can't last. This can't go on. You're going the wrong way, and if you don't turn around, there's going to be dangerous consequences. And that's what Paul is saying to us today in Hebrews, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, is expose the sins in your own life. Don't sweep them under the rug. Confess them. Own up to them. If there's someone you love that you know something is dangerous that is going on, is it best to act like it's not there and just remain friends? No. What does a true friend do? Helps them. Picks them up. Shows them. Do you remember the good friend of King David? Do you remember Nathan? Nathan had a very, very delicate thing he had to do for King David. King David was walking in sin. And Nathan had a choice. To act like it never happened. To act like it wasn't there, even though he knew it was there. Or to expose the sin in King David's life. Now, when you're exposing the sin in a king's life, and if that doesn't go well, that could be the end for Nathan. As close as he was to David, that could have been the end of his life. But what happened when Nathan brought this to David's attention? He nudged him awake. He nudged David awake. And David realized the heinousness, the grossness of his sin. And he repented. He confessed it. He turned around. He found restoration. He found healing. He found forgiveness. And Paul is saying that right there is walking in love. Expose the sins of darkness. If you or someone you love is walking in the darkness, we need to be awakened spiritually. So you and I can turn around. So they can turn around and begin walking differently. But we also need to remember this. We need to be careful to remember the words of Jesus, that before we seek to remove a speck of sin and darkness from our brother's eye, we should make sure we are dealing very severely with the possible logs of sin in our own eye, right? So we could properly handle the removing of sin from our brother's eye. If we aren't fighting the known sins in our life, we're not in the position to help anybody else. This has to start at home first. It has to start with us first. The exposing of sin should start right here. Remember what David also prayed to God? Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the path of understanding. He started right there. Where's the sin in my life, God? Let that sin be exposed. And once that sin is dealt with and being dealt with, now you can look to your brother's eye in love and prayer and in care and try to help them remove that sin as well. But it has to start here. And sin, when it's exposed, is the first steps of becoming light because in Christ, there's forgiveness. In Christ, there is restoration. There is healing possible. But when sin remains hidden, there's no forgiveness. When sin remains hidden, there's no healing. There's no restoration. Sin is allowed to continue destroying the soul like a disease, like a deadly disease. And Paul says, expose the sins of darkness. The next thing he says is, look carefully how we walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. He tells us to walk carefully. Carefully. I've been walking carefully lately because I hurt my back a couple weeks ago, and now I'm walking like the tin man. And I'm making sure that every movement is going well. And Paul says, walk carefully, not as unwise, but as wise. Because the path we're on is dangerous. Did you know that? Did you know the Christian path is a dangerous path? Why? Because it's been laid with traps and snares by the devil. The path that we are on is one that the devil hates. 
And he's going to lay many traps and snares before us. And Paul says, be very careful how you walk. In other words, once again, we need God's wisdom and we need discernment to see the traps, to see the snares laid by the devil so we can navigate around those traps. So we can navigate around those snares. Because the devil is craftier than you and I are wise on our own. You know that, right? The devil is craftier than I am wise on my own. So his traps and his snares, he's been around a long time. He knows exactly where to put them. He knows my pressure points. He knows what I'm apt to walk into. What do I need to do in order to navigate around those traps? I need to be around Jesus. I need to be around Jesus because he is the only one that knows how to perfectly navigate this Christian life. Because he did it perfectly. He perfectly navigated around all the traps and snares that the devil laid for him. And he's here to help us as well. And that's why he says, follow me. I know what I'm doing. Follow me. I know where to go. Follow me. I've done this already. I know the way. I am the map. Follow Jesus. And that means, once again, we have to be careful to search out the life and the teachings of Jesus if we want to avoid the darkness. And I hope that you do. We can't avoid the darkness without Jesus. We can't avoid the darkness without discipline and detail and discernment. And we can't avoid it without the map, so we need to go to Jesus daily. We need to go to the Word of God daily. We need to discipline ourselves so we can walk carefully in this Christian world, in this Christian life. The next thing he says is make the best use of our time because the days are evil. He told us to expose sin. He told us to walk carefully. And now he tells us and exhorts us to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. He's saying the blunt and obvious truth, truth that time is not on our side. It's very brief. Time is very, very brief. If we want to imitate God by walking in love and avoid the darkness, we need to ask this kind of question. Is this the best use of the time that I've been given? Remember how we started this sermon with talking about childish, foolish things? That kind of question is something a mature Christian adult would ask. Is this the best use of the brief time that I've been given? And if not, we shouldn't partake in whatever that is. But that's a really mature thing to ask. That's something that only someone would ask if they want to please the Lord, if they want to imitate God, if they want to walk in love. Is this the best use of the time that I've been given? Uh, Yesterday, another sports analogy, you guys are probably sick of these, but yesterday there was a game between Harvard and Yale, a football game. Uh, I didn't watch that one because I don't think that's great football. (laughs) But Harvard and Yale, they're probably better at debating or something like that, but they were playing football yesterday and at, at the middle of halftime, uh, a bunch of students came on the field and were protesting for like 47 minutes or something like that. They were protesting um, climate change <coughs> at a football game. And I thought that was interesting. They were protesting climate change. And again, this is Harvard and Yale. These aren't Christian people, most of them. But I'm thinking about that going, wow, is that the best use of our time? Like what if today or this week was the last time we spend upon this earth? Are you going to care about the climate in eternity? I, honestly, I, I, it's just something I thought about going, wow, that's bad in the world, but you understand it because they're worldly. They're thinking about worldly things. If there's no heaven, it probably does make a lot of sense to care about the climate and the, the place that we live on. But I want you to imagine this. Another very silly analogy. These analogies were flooding my mind yesterday. Imagine if a tornado was coming and barreling down to your home. And you had this thought, while the tornado was coming, it's been a while since I've mowed the lawn. I need to get out there. I need to get out there and mow my lawn. I noticed the Hendersons looking at my lawn the other day, and they, they, they could tell it was shabby. And trying to convince my wife that I should go out and mow the lawn while the tornado was barreling down on her house. Is that foolish? Of course it's foolish. Because that's not the best use of your time, is it? That's silly. That's stupid. But the best use of your time if a tornado is barreling down in your house is get safe. Go somewhere safe. Protect your loved ones. Don't care about the lawn. Don't care about your garden. It doesn't matter. And Paul is saying to us today, make best use of the time because the days are evil. Are the days evil, people? Are the days getting bad? Are they getting worse? We need to abstain from many worldly endeavors. Not necessarily because every one of them is sin, but because they're not the best use of our time. 
It's that simple. If time is brief and we're here only a fraction of time in comparison to eternity, then what should we live for? What should we practice? What should we do with our time? Anything that doesn't help us follow the light should be put away. And I know that's a high bar. But what if we ask that question about everything we do? Is this the best use of the time I've been given? Is it the best? If the Lord came back today, if he came back this week, or let's say this. What if this was the last 72 hours you had before Judgment Day? You remember my tornado illustration. What if this is the last 72 hours you had before Judgment Day? And in 72 hours, you're going to stand before God, and he's going to ask the question, did you live according to my will? What do you do for those 72 hours? Are you concerned with making memories? Are you concerned with the fun you can have or the shows you can watch? Do you binge watch? If you have 72 hours left in your life before you stand before God, my guess is no. My guess is for those 72 hours, you're the best version of Christian you've ever been. You're evangelizing, you're reading the scriptures, you're casting off sin, you're doing whatever necessary to prepare yourself and others for the end. See, my job as your pastor is not to dictate what you do with your time. That's not my job. My job is to help you understand the things of God. It's your job to figure out what you should do with the time you've been given. I can tell you what sin is based on how scripture t teaches us, but I can't tell you what to do and how, how much time to spend on certain things. But I do know this. Everyone is crazy busy in this culture, isn't it? Everybody seems to be crazy busy. And I wonder, as I've often wondered, are we crazy busy because we don't know how to discipline ourselves? Are we crazy busy because there's something called binge watching? Are we crazy busy because there's too many worldly endeavors in our life? Can we actually justify that to God one day when we said, I didn't have time to read the scriptures. I didn't have time to pray. Oh, that neighbor who needed Christ, yeah, I meant to, but I never found the opportunity, God. Paul is saying to us today, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. The common path of this world, even in many Christian circles, unfortunately, is not the path of light. But it's full of worldly endeavors. And we are called to live holy in this world. Do you know what that word means? Different. Different. Set apart. Strange, even. We're called to live like our God. We're called to redeem the time we've been given because one day we will only wish that we had walked according to the pattern of Jesus. Isn't that true? Time is brief. Judgment day is coming. And Paul says, make the best use of your time. You're not going to care at the last day how much fun you had or how many memories you made. You're only going to care about, did I live according to the will of God? This means that time is precious. It's precious. It's not in abundance. Sometimes we think time is in abundance. I have so much time. I'm only this age, and I'm supposed to live to this age. I got so much time. Do you? Do you really? Do you look at some people who have died young or the, the fact that your life is moving faster than you consider? Maybe the fact that your kids grew up faster than you thought they were going to? Time is very, very brief, and time is very precious. Do we have a lot of the world's stuff in our life weighing us down from truly following Jesus and imitating God? We're called to act like strangers and aliens in this world. We're called to live with our bags packed for eternity, to be ready for the kingdom of God at all times. But are we too fat and bloated from the things of this world to run the Christian race? If this was our last day, if our last 72 hours upon the earth, how would we live? If Jesus was going to send us a text message, and he doesn't have to because he sent us 66 books of text, but if Jesus was going to send us a text message, I believe it would say something like this, on my way. On my way. You ever get a text like that? What do you, what do, you do when someone says they're on, your way, on their way? You get ready. You get ready to leave. You get ready to go where you're going to go. And Jesus would say that to us today. So make the best use of the time you've been given because that is what spiritual maturity looks like. That's what it looks like. We can ask the question, is it sin? We can ask the question, is it lawful? We can ask the question, can I get away with it? Will it hurt my eternal soul? But what if we ask the question, is it the best 
use of the brief time I've been given? Do you think we make better decisions? Do you think we live more mature? Do you think we put those sinful, evil practices away quicker? The fourth thing he says is understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. We are to have wisdom from above if we are to understand what the will of the Lord is. And God gave us so many resources in order to understand what his will is, right? He gave us the scriptures. Have you read through the entire Bible? Have you read the scriptures? I don't want to be able to say that to, that, to God on the last day either. Going, God, I gave you 66 books of divine revelation and you never even read it? You never even read the scriptures? The scriptures were given to us to know what the will of the Lord is. How can we know God's will without the scriptures? We cannot. We have to discipline ourselves to study the scriptures. The second huge thing he gave us is the Holy Spirit. God dwelling within us to understand what the will of the Lord is. He also gave us the church to understand what the will of the Lord is, to help one another understand what the will of the Lord is. He gave us pastors and leaders, etc., to understand what the will of the Lord is. There are so many resources, but we have to be utilizing them. A lazy approach to knowing God's will is going to produce darkness in the soul. And we need God's help, don't we? We need to be asking always, searching always, inquiring always, what is your will, O God? And utilizing every tool he's been given us. So the scriptures, what do we do with them? We should search the scriptures like someone trying to find treasure. Because God's will is treasure. Abiding and doing the will of God is treasure. What about the Holy Spirit? What should we do with the Holy Spirit? We should remain humble. We should remain prayerful. We should ask for God's help to live according to God's will because if he finds out that you're interested in that, he's going to help you. The Holy Spirit was given for that exact purpose so that you can live according to the will of God. Do you pray this prayer, Father in heaven? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us how to pray. Do you pray that way? Do you think that way? Do you consider those things? The church, we've talked about this already, but with the church, a true commitment to helping one another discover the will of God and accomplishing it together. We need to unify in order to live according to the will of God, in order to understand what the will of the Lord is. We need to unify. And your pastors, you've been given pastors to listen to them, to support them, to line up behind them, because pastors are like modern-day prophets. They were given to you to help you understand the will of the Lord. Value your leaders. Value your pastors. Take the wisdom and the input they have and and utilize that in your own life. Do you see these four presents God gave us? He gave us the scriptures. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the church. He gave us pastors and leaders for one purpose, to know what the will of the Lord is. These are four massive presents God gave you. In other words, there's no reason you and I should not know the will of the Lord. It takes discipline. It takes detail. It takes discernment. But if you will do those things, you will know what the will of the Lord is, and you will walk in it. The last thing we're going to end on here today is the third thing he tells us, is we should have the right perspective about light. He finishes this section by telling us to calibrate our perspective to the right things because we need help in this journey. We need help. And getting drunk, he says, don't get drunk with wine. Why? Because it doesn't help. It doesn't help. It hinders. Getting drunk with wine can only hinder you. We should put the drink away and ask the Lord for a different kind of filling, one from the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of filling we should be concerned with because the Holy Spirit helps us imitate God. And he says, uh, being drunk with wine is debauchery. It's excessive indulgence and sensual pleasures. Does that help you follow the Lord? No, it doesn't. Neither do any sin. Neither does any piece of darkness. If we want temporal happiness, we'll look to the bottle. If we want permanent and eternal happiness, we'll look to the Holy Spirit. What are you being filled with? Darkness or light? Because what you're filled with is what you'll walk in. To gain and keep this perspective on light, we also need joy and thanksgiving. 
a true joy that stems, that stems from already being children of light. Are you thankful that you're a child of light? That you're not in darkness any longer? I mean, really, think about that. Are you thankful and grateful that you are in the light? One last illustration. What if you found out you had a terminal disease and the doctor said to you, there's no hope? But a couple days go by and they found this new treatment. And they tried it. And it completely cured you. What do you think your perspective would be about life? Do you think you'd enjoy the days a little bit more? Do you think you'd look forward to time with people a little bit more? We had a disease that was running rampant in our souls called sin. It was increasing. It was destroying. It was leading us straight to the pits of hell. But the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to our soul and healed us head to toe. He said he removed the sins as far as the east is from the west. He says, your sins are now whiter than snow. Do you have the perspective about light that causes joy and causes real thanksgiving? <clears throat> because that's where Paul wants us to be. He says, you should act almost like you're so grateful for life and so thankful for life that you're singing praises to God's people. You're so full of joy. I, I use this a lot too, but remember the end of Christmas Carol when Scrooge is spared what he thought was going to happen to him? He's dancing and singing about. He's on the streets acting kind of silly because he's so grateful for life. And that's where Paul wants us to be at all times. He wants us thrilled. He says this phrase, to be thankful at all times, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's cool that we're talking about Thanksgiving on the week of Thanksgiving. Because what does Thanksgiving do? It, ha it gives you the right perspective about light. When you're thankful to God for what you have, you're seeing the world correctly. And he says, give thanks always. Give thanks for everything. Have the right perspective that you are in the light because you have hope, and you're looking forward to light, and you're looking forward to eternity with God. And it's good that our time is brief, because we live in a sin-cursed, sin-stained world. Isn't this world bad? Isn't this place bad that we live on? Isn't this a place you want to leave? It is for me. The more I live upon this earth, the more that I see, the more I want to be off this ride. And the great thing is, is very, very soon we are. We're going to be taken from this ride. We're going to be put in eternity with our God forever. And he says, use that perspective to live for Jesus now because the dawn is coming. And every day we finish is one day we get near to the kingdom of God. So we can either wallow and complain on the earth or we can see the light ahead of us and remember that that is our eternal home. The light that is coming is my home. So why not make the best use of our time and fuel that time with the joy and thanksgiving of serving Christ upon the earth. Is serving Jesus a privilege? Is it a privilege? It is a responsibility, but is it a privilege to you? Thanksgiving in a heart of rejoicing will change the dark and dreary days into divine appointments to glorify our God. So what has Paul told us today? Three things. Living and walking in the light is a privilege. Let's see it as that and let's never flirt with darkness anymore. Let's come out from the darkness for good with a righteous energy to pursue the things of Jesus. Come out from the darkness. Don't live in the darkness any longer, child. Number two, let's do whatever we can to expose the remaining darkness in our souls and then help others to do the same because we need to all strive for the light of Jesus. I want this for you as well as for myself. Honestly, that's why I do what I do. Because I want to walk in light, and I want to help as many of you as I can to walk in light as well. Is that what you want? Do you want your entire church body to walk in light? Number three, let's keep the proper eternal perspective that light is the winning team, and we are going to be in that light forever. And then, as the old song says, let us shine. Let us shine the light of the gospel while we have the opportunity to do so, because that window is closing quickly. 
And one day, I don't want to say coulda, shoulda, woulda. I want to say, and I want to hear the Lord say, most importantly, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you light, and you walked in that light. And let's be reminded, the last thing I'll say today, by what Paul started this lesson with, he said, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Are you light today? Do you have Jesus within your soul? Have you been removed from the darkness that once enveloped your soul? And if so, are you walking in that light? Because we can and we must. Let's pray today. Father, I thank you. I feel like we went fast through a very heavy and weighty topic, but I thank you for the truth you taught us today that light is where we should be living. No matter how this world wants to tell us that darkness is more fun, it's more pleasurable, it's longer lasting, they're lies, they're traps, they're snares laid by the devil, and we need the truth to navigate around that. I pray that you'd help each one of us to understand what the will of the Lord is, to help each other walk in light, to set the hope of Jesus before us every single day, and to make sure that we are pleasing to you in all things. Father, I thank you for this church. This church needs to follow these things, and I pray that you'd help us every single day to unify to encourage, to build up, to pray for one another, to follow our leaders, because time is very, very brief. And one day we will stand before you, and we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for this text today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to remind you one more time that on Wednesday, Wednesday night at 6.30, we're going to have a sort of special Thanksgiving church family time where we're going to come together and just share a bunch of testimonies. Please make that if you're able to. 6.30 Wednesday here at the church building. We'd love to see you there. Blessings.